And I tell you what, they are worth the price you're paying for sure. <clears throat> Great to see you. If you have your Bible, please go back to the book of Luke chapter 4. Back in Luke chapter 4, that's where we're going to be again this morning together. I saw a video, and I was going to share it with you, but it was kind of long, so I'm just going to tell you what happened. They took some kids, some children, cute little kids, four, five, six years old, and they brought them into a room. And uh, kids didn't know it, but there was a camera set up in the room, and uh, they brought the kids in. They set them on a table, on a, not on the table, on a chair. In front of them was a table, and on that table was one marshmallow just like this. And so the kid is sat down behind the table, and there's a marshmallow in front of him. And the lady says, I'm going to go for a little bit, and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, if you have not eaten that one marshmallow, I'm going to give you another marshmallow, and then you're going to have two marshmallows. And they said, okay, that sounds good. She said, do you understand what I'm telling you? They said, yes, if I wait, I get two marshmallows. She said, that's exactly right. She went out of the room. Little boy's sitting there in front of that marshmallow. And at first, he's got his hands behind his back, and he's looking all around. He's waiting for the lady to come back, but she's delayed in coming, it seems like. And so then he starts to wiggle around, and he gets his hands, and he gets kind of close to that table. And after about a minute and a half, he just can't help it, and he picks it up, and he smells the marshmallow. But as soon as he smells it, he puts it back because he knows I shouldn't take the marshmallow because if I wait, I'll get two marshmallows. So he puts his hands back, and then on the video, he starts going like this. He's popping his cheek. He's waiting. He's, he's twiddling his fingers. And he just can't help it. He, he picks up the marshmallow, and he sticks his tongue out, and he licks it. He gets a little taste of it, you know, to see what it tastes like. But as soon as he gets the taste, he puts it back on the table, and he kind of gets up and scoots back. And he continues to wait. The lady seems like it's forever. It's only been about a minute and a half, a minute 45. But it seems like she's been gone forever. And the little boy, you can just see his face. He can't take it anymore. And so he picks it up. And he takes the tiniest little nibble just to get a little taste of the marshmallow. And then as quickly as he can, he puts it back on the table and puts his hands behind his back. Next time he picks it up, it's too much. And he takes it and he just eats that whole marshmallow. The lady comes in and said, what did you do? And he said, I just couldn't help myself. I had to have the marshmallow. And as I watched that, it made me chuckle. And I feel like that's how we are with sin a lot of times. We have these temptations, and they're, they're all around us. Every one of us in this room this morning, we face temptations. Amen? It's a part of our life. It's a part of our struggle. We've got that fallen, sinful nature within us, and so there are these temptations, but yet we know. We know that we need to stay away from them, and so we try. We put our hands behind our back. We look away. We try to resist the urge, but it seems like all too often, we give in slowly, but we give in surely. Just like that little boy when he was eating that marshmallow. The reality is that even when we know what's best for us, we often find it very difficult to walk in victory. I came across a study by Northwestern University. They were putting this in a uh, psychology report. 
And they began to do this study on willpower in resisting temptation. This is what they found. They said people are not good at anticipating the power of their urges. And those who are the most confident about their self-control are the most likely to give in to temptation. When not in the heat of the moment, individuals have a hard time understanding the depths of their cravings. People have less self-restraint than they think, a false belief that often leads people to expose themselves to temptation that they really cannot handle. If you aren't feeling the craving at the moment, maybe a cigarette, maybe to purchase something, maybe hunger, it's hard for you to understand how strong it really is. And I read that, and I had to agree with it. Why? Because I felt it in my life. Have you ever given in to sin and then stood back and said, I can't believe I did that again? What was I thinking? I knew better. Why did I engage in gossip? I, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Why did I laugh at that joke? Why was I entertained by such wickedness? I, I told myself I was going to quit spending so much money, but I just bought something else again. Why did I do that? And there's all these different struggles, and yours are different than mine, but we face them, and we know what it's like to give in and then to step back and say, why did I do that? And, and you know, Paul even felt that way. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. You ever been there? Why do I keep doing the things that I do? It makes no sense. He goes on in verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so you and I must understand that there is a battle that is raging. Not far off, not in the distance, but there is a battle that is raging for your life, for your family, and for everything that is good for you. A battle is raging, and the enemy knows if he can trap you into sin, you will be ineffective for the kingdom of God. And so it is vitally important that we understand what we're up against. There's a, a businessman, and he was trying to lose weight. But every day as he went to his job, he passed a Krispy Kreme donut. Y'all like those, don't you? And one day he was going to work and that red light was on. You know the red light, it means they're hot and they're fresh and they're good. And so he drove by real slow and he prayed and he said, Lord, I know that it's not your will for me to eat another Krispy Kreme donut. I am trying to eat healthy. But Lord, I need you to give me a sign. And so, Lord, I'm going to go in the parking lot, and if there's no open spots, I'm going to know it's your will that I do not have a Krispy Kreme donut. In the Lord's name, amen. He went in the parking lot. He circled once. There's no parking spaces. He circled a second time. There's no parking spaces. The eighth time around, he finally found an empty parking space, and he said, God, it must be your will today, and he went in and had a Krispy Kreme donut. The battle is raging, and it's something that we all have in common. In this room, there's great diversity. We're in different stages of life. We have different jobs. We have different interests. But one thing that bonds us all together, from the floor level to the very top corner, is that we struggle with temptation. 
And we can pretend it's not a big deal, but if we pretend it's not a big deal, the enemy has already won. It is a serious, serious matter. So let's review last week. We're taking it slowly. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. That's going to be review from last week, and then we will move forward. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, In Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Okay, what happened at the Jordan? He was baptized. Chapter 3, Jesus was baptized when he came up out of the water. Do you remember the Holy Spirit as a dove came upon Jesus? The voice of God came down from the heavens. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. An amazing moment, an amazing moment as Jesus begins to go out and start his earthly ministry. You could say it's a spiritual moment of victory. And so right after that, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, I love it because it says when they were ended, he was hungry. You ever have one of those moments and it's like, duh. Of course he was hungry. He's fasting for 40 days. Do you know why that's in there? It reminds us, as we saw last week, that Jesus is hungry holy God and he is holy man amen he's hungry like we would be hungry man I miss lunch and I get cranky some of you are worse than that I see you you know what I'm talking about he fasted 40 days and so he was hungry he gets tired like we get tired and the Bible tells us he faced temptations like we face temptations that makes him our great high priest and our great propitiation verse 3 and the devil said to him if you are the son of God command this stone to become bread. Out in this countryside, there would be all these little rocks. Some of you have seen that. And it almost looked like bread. And so Jesus is hungry, and the enemy says, if you really are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. We saw last week two schemes of the enemy. One is that he questions our identity. He questions our identity. If you really are the Son of God, chapter 3 already confirmed he is the Son of God. The enemy knows that Jesus is the Son of God, but he questions his identity. Because if you begin to doubt your identity, it'll change the way that you live. Amen? Your identity equals your biography. If you can find your identity in money, then you're not going to advance the kingdom of God. If you find your identity in materialism, then you will not advance the kingdom of God. Many men find their identity in their work, in their job place, and if that's true, you will not advance the kingdom of God. So the enemy attacked by questioning the identity of Jesus. But secondly, he questioned the goodness of God. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be out here in this wicked place, hungry, with nothing to eat. If God really loved you, your life would be a lot easier. And sometimes we buy into that lie and we feel like that. Why am I sick? Why do I have these struggles? If God really loved me, why would my life not be better? But remember, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we're led by God into difficult situations. Amen? Our life is not called to be a life of ease. Jesus is right where he's supposed to be. He's right in the center of the will of God, but life is tough. You might be in a tough spot right now, but you might be right where God wants you to be. And that leads us to our text for this morning. Stand with us. Let's read this together, beginning in verse 5. We stand in honor 
of the inerrant, all-sufficient, powerful, marvelous Word of God. And so we see Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. <clears throat> if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Lord, we ask that you would be with us through this text. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you show us how we can live a life that brings you great honor and glory? In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice that the enemy is both determined and he is persistent. <clears throat> he is both determined and persistent. One initial defeat does not cause the enemy to give up and run away. Luke 4 is the first time that we officially see the devil in the gospel of Luke. But he's been working from the beginning. We saw him in Genesis 3 working to bring sin into the world. Even early in Matthew, we see him working through Herod to kill all the young born boys. And at this point, again, he is working. We are against an enemy that is very persistent. He is working behind the scenes. What makes a true man or a true woman of God? It's not one good day. It's not one right decision. It is a lifetime of standing guard against the attacks of our enemy. You may be successful today, but you've got to be on guard because tomorrow is a new day. And your enemy is coming. And the more you try to advance the kingdom of God, the greater the attacks will be upon your life. The enemy will be persistent. He tempted Jesus once, and when that didn't work, he tempted again. And then when that didn't work, he tempted again. And the end of the text says he's coming back again at an opportune time. There's not a reset button. It's not that if you're victorious today, then you're set for the future. It doesn't matter how old you are this morning. Temptations are still coming. Until the day that we live, they're coming. I was listening the way I do my sermons, I write my, my sermons, and then on Fridays, I listen to, to other pastors preach. And I was listening to a, an older pastor who was preaching on this passage. And he said, you know, when I was young, I used to think that I would reach the time that temptations would not be nearly as strong. He said, but now I've gotten older, and I realize that the temptations are still there every single day. We face temptations. They're all around us. Now, Matthew's account tells us that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Everything the world has to offer is extended and is right here before Jesus. And I want you to notice the contrast. Here Jesus is, and he's in this, this rough countryside. There, there's no green grass. There's no trees. It's, it's rough. It is, it is tan color. It's dirty. It's dusty. It's barren land. You can imagine his face is caped up with, with dust and with dirt. His body is weak as he is hungry and he's, he's famished. And then the enemy comes. And if it's through physically taking him up on a mountain, if it's through a vision, whatever means it is, he shows him all the world has to offer. 
there's a contrast. Jesus is, is almost like a peasant. He's almost like a homeless man. He's hungry. His body's crying out, and the enemy shows him everything the world has to offer. Everything that's in the world that, that our hearts long for is available to Jesus right here. It is being pulled out right in front of him. All the riches we can imagine. All the world has to offer, all the splendor, all the good food, everything that his body is longing for is laid out before him. Now there's a question that we've got to talk about. When I read this, my first question is, how can Satan offer all this to Jesus? Right? Did you think that also? How does Satan offer all of this to Jesus? We must understand that biblically, the kingdoms of the world were and are to some extent under the enemy's power. That's biblical. God is sovereign. He's in control. And remember, all power and authority was given to Jesus in Matthew 28. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. However, in this fallen world, God has allowed Satan to operate in power. And we see that in the Bible. We see it in 2 Corinthians 4. He's known as the God of this world. In John 14, he's the ruler of the world. In Ephesians 6, he is the ruler of darkness. And you look around and you say, man, this world looks like it's going the wrong way, doesn't it? You ever just turn on the news and it just blows your mind? There's so much ungodliness. There's so much wickedness. There's so much confusion Confusion to where we don't even know if we're a male or a female. You ever just look back and just honestly say, what in the world is going on today? Do you know what's going on? The enemy is in power. That's what's going on. The enemy has authority, and he's bringing so much doubt into the minds of individuals that they question everything. He's trying to get us away from the absolute standard, which is the Word of God, and instead we doubt everything. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no male. There's no female. What you believe is not what I believe. I can say the sky is pink. You can say it bl it's blue. Nobody really knows the difference. And we step back and we say, what in the world is going on right here? The enemy's in control. We see families being ripped apart. You know why? Because the enemy has great power. We see lives being ruined. Do you know why? Because the enemy has great power. We see tragedy to where a gunman goes into a school and brings so much harm to children. You know why? Because the enemy has so much power in this world. And so he offers this, and there is some legitimacy to it because he does have great power. That's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if we're honest, he's been very productive, and he's been very successful. And we try to fix it. We believe that if we can have better education, we'll fix it. We believe if we can have more wealth, we can fix it. We believe that if we can have better laws, we can fix it. We believe if we can have better equality, we can fix it. Can I just tell you the secret? There's only one fix. Amen? And that one fix is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There is nothing else. Everything else is vain. Everything else is worthless. There's one fix, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ because our problem is sin. And then you say, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't God do something about this problem? That's exactly what Jesus has done. John 12, it says, Jesus came so the ruler of this world would be cast out. Revelations 12 says he knows his time is short, so in this time, he's trying to take as many people as he can outside the will of God. A lot of folks look at the enemy and they say he's going to be the leader of hell. You know that's false. He's not going to be the leader of hell. He's going to be thrown into the lake of fire for torment and eternal flames forever and ever. And until that day, he's trying to take everyone that he can with him. And so we understand that we are facing a very powerful enemy. But what can we learn about the tactics of our enemy? The first thing is he tries to get us to focus on the physical and neglect the spiritual. To focus on the physical and therefore neglect the spiritual. Satan says, I'm going to give you dominion over this world. And Jesus came for those very kingdoms. Many who profess to follow Christ have purchased their own empires at the cost of and the acceptance of evil. In our modern day, we hear words like, be practical, be realistic. You've got to go with the flow. There are times you've got to compromise in life. And the enemy comes to you and says, I've got an easier path for you. I've got a path that will make you more happy. I got a way that you can be more rich. I've got a way, young folks, that you can have more friends at school. And it just costs a little bit of compromise. Let's focus on the world and let's forget about the spiritual things. And when we begin to focus on the world and take our eyes off the Lord, we will live in ways that we wish we wouldn't. Amen? At our house, my little girl, she's in here. Kaysen is five. She's about to be six. And she has had lots of questions lately. If you've ever been in that stage, we get in bed at, at nighttime, try to get her to go to sleep, and all of a sudden her mind starts turning. She has all these questions. And I have taken lots of uh, seminary classes, biblical interpretation, hermeneutics, systematic theologies. None of that prepared me for the questions of a five-year-old. The other day she said, Daddy, who is Jesus' daddy? And I said, well, that's God the Father. And she said, well, I thought Joseph was Jesus' daddy. That's hard to explain, folks. And then she said, Daddy, how many Jesuses are there? And I said, well, maybe there, there's one Jesus. And we talk about the Trinity a little bit, but that's tough. There's one Jesus. And she said, well, Daddy, if he's in your heart and my heart and Mama's heart, how is there only one Jesus? That's tough, folks. It's a hard question. She said, Daddy... Why did those bad men want to put Jesus on the cross? That's tough. Daddy, who got Jesus off the cross? How did they get the nails out of his hand? Daddy, will there be animals in heaven? Daddy, what about the bad animals? Will they be in heaven? And so we go through all these questions, and that is, you can ask Brittany. I'm not exaggerating. This goes on for 30 minutes, and I can't even answer the question before another one comes out. But then she said this. She said, Daddy, I just wish I could see Jesus. I said, I do too, baby. You see, sometimes because we don't see Jesus, it makes us not live for Jesus. Because we see the things of the world. And can we just be honest, they're fun? Sometimes preachers say, well, sin's not fun. That's a lie. 
I mean, right? Sin is, is fun. It, it, it's alluring. It, it pulls you in. And because of that, we focus more on the things of the world and less on the things of God. And when we do that, we give, it, give in to our temptations and our struggles. Romans 8, 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see, victory comes when we focus not on the, the riches of the world, but instead we focus on the goodness of God. Your victory in your spiritual life will mirror the level in which you focus on Jesus. Do you remember when Peter was walking on the water? Everything was good as long as what? As long as he was focused on Jesus. But when he took his focus off, everything changed. It fell apart. David's sin was because he focused on the wrong thing. The sin of Achan was, was because he was focused on the riches of the world. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that Eve began to look at the tree and see what was good in the tree. I'm convinced that we must stay focused on the Lord. Hebrews 12 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me ask you, in your life, are you more concerned with physical things or spiritual things? Let me give you a couple questions Think about honestly and see which one is true for you. Are you more concerned with making money or making disciples? Think about it. Be honest. Am I more concerned about making money or making disciples? Are you more concerned about your child or your grandchild's social life, their grades, their sporting events, or their spiritual lives? Are you more concerned with the state of the economy or the state of your retirement account? Are you more concerned with your retirement account are treasures in heaven. Listen, if a lot of us are honest, we'll say, I'm focused on things that don't matter nearly as much. When's the last time you shared your faith? With our new schedule, we have, we have room. When's the last time you invited someone to come and to worship and to study the word of God with you? To be focused on spiritual things. But secondly, we also see a tactic. We see that he offers a shortcut. Jesus can bypass the humiliation of the cross. He can bypass the beatings and the crown of thorns and the bloodshed. He can skip the nails and the humiliation. He can skip death. In his divinity, he knows what's coming. But instead, he can take what he wants independently from God. He offers a shortcut. Do you know that in your life, he offers lots of shortcuts? Shortcuts to where you can get what you want, and you can get it quicker and you can get it apart from God. I went to my mailbox this week, and I pulled out of the mailbox, and there was a beautiful envelope. And in great manuscript, it, it had my name in this great cursive. I opened it up, and it said, congratulations. Congratulations. You have been selected. You are now a platinum MasterCard member if you will just fill out this application. You've been pre-approved. You know what credit cards do? They're a shortcut. They're a shortcut. You buy now, you buy a shirt today, and you pay it off over the next three years. It never works. It's not a good decision, but people do it all the time. We live in a culture that we want instant gratification. We want it now. But a lot of times, what we're doing spiritually, we don't see the results now. It takes a long time, right? We're setting up treasures in heaven, not treasures here. And because of that, we get short-sighted is what the Bible calls it. We're short-sighted and we want a shortcut in life. The Father's will was the cross. It was not to get the kingdoms of the world through the schemes of the devil. 
The enemy is behind so many shortcuts in life. I want to I read you a quote from someone I've never quoted in a sermon before, but it was good. This is from Jim Carrey, okay? Thought I've got your attention. This is what Jim Carrey said. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. Isn't that good? We think, I want all the world has to offer, but I'm going to tell you, it's not the answer. It's a shortcut, but it will always leave you longing for more and more and more. And the last thing I'm going to show you is that Satan's scheme always involves compromise. Look how Jesus responded. He said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, do you remember in Genesis 3 when Eve was tempted? What did she do? She began to talk back and forth to that snake, which that's a problem to begin with. But nonetheless, she talked back and forth with the snake. Jesus did not involve himself in discussion. He said, let me just give you scripture. There wasn't any compromise when it came to Jesus. To compromise is to settle a dispute by mutual concession. And there's a lot of folks who go through their life and they compromise. They compromise the standard of God. They compromise the word of God. But we cannot do that. Amen? Vance Havner, he said, it's better to die for a conviction than to live with a compromise. So Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It comes out of the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today shall be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. We want to get as close as we can, but I'll remind you as we close, God is not okay being one of many. If God's fighting for the top position in your life, that means there's idolatry. When Jesus responded, there's that word only. Serve and worship God only. And I want you to think about your life. What are you worshiping right now? You say, well, I wouldn't call it worship, but it's what you live for. It's what you live for. It's what gets all your attention. It's where all your energy goes. What are you worshiping in your life right now? You see, if we're not sold out to the things of God, then we're involved in compromise. You say, well, I can't put my finger on it. It may be that you're worshiping yourself and you're living for you. You're living for materialism and the things of the world that you want so badly. You're living for your pride and your ego. You're living for your self-indulgence. And maybe the Lord's convicting you that instead you must focus on him. So how do we overcome it? Three things to think about. We resist the devil. Okay? We must resist the devil and the power of the Spirit of God. We must be led by the Spirit of God through the guidance of the Word of God to accomplish the will of God. Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to think about your life. We have studied and looked at some of the schemes of the enemy today. We've seen that he wants you to focus on the physical world and neglect the spiritual world. And I wonder in your life, are you doing that? Do you say, man, honestly, if I look at my life, 
I don't spend a lot of time focusing on spiritual things, but I sure am concerned with physical things. And maybe you realize that there are areas that you take shortcuts in life. I want what's easy. I want all the world has to offer. I want it right in front of me, and so you take shortcuts. And maybe you say, I'm compromising. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. Just like the little kids and those marshmallows. But I keep doing the wrong thing. I want you to pray. And I want you to pray these verses right now. Everywhere you're sitting right now, repeat these words in your heart. Psalm 139. Say, search me, O God. Say that in your heart. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. A moment of self-reflection. Lord, show me the sin that I keep giving into and give me the power to walk in victory. Because no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way of escape. Call that out in your heart. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to live in a life that makes a difference. Maybe you've never been saved, and that needs to happen this morning. Maybe you're looking for a church to join, and the Lord's leading you, saying, this is the church you need to be a part of. Maybe you need to come to an altar and say, I want to live a life that brings more honor and more glory to God, and that starts here, and it starts now. Lord, I pray that your will has been done this morning. Thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. And Lord, I pray that we will apply it to our life and we will be ready to advance your kingdom. So Lord, thank you for your goodness, for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears reached. How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed My chains are gone, I've been set free My God, my Savior, has ransomed me and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secure. 
chains are gone and I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing You can be seated just for a moment. Again, thank you so much for being with us today. So glad that you were here. Uh, don't forget, we've got life groups right after this. And so if you don't know where to go, come and see me. I'll point you in the right direction. We had two great groups already this morning, several great ones going on now, and about to start some more. So make sure you find a life group. This evening, we've got a brand new life group with Brother Robert right here, Wave right here, 445 back here in the chapel. And so if you're looking for a great Bible study, be with us this evening. That's going to be great. Church council meeting this evening at 5 o'clock. And then town hall meeting in the grand hall at 6 o'clock. Bring some food, some snacks. It always goes over better, and we will see you this evening. Uh, Wednesday, regular activities. Brother Dan Swenson will be with us in the adult service and uh, Hilltoppers on Tuesday. Also, your contribution statements are available in the foyer. Thank you so much for your generosity. This last year was an incredible, incredible year. Now, I have got some very special news today. Casey and Grace, come here, baby. Come here. This is my girl. This is my Kaysen, and we have been talking a lot. We've had a lot of questions, I told you, and that's been going on for several weeks. And last night about 10 o'clock, she climbed up in my arms on the couch, and she leaned over and said, Daddy, it's time to be saved. And so we knelt down as a family and prayed together, and so she got saved. If you're excited about that, clap a little bit. Let her know you're excited. See, I'm so excited for you. All right, and so we're going to be following up in believer's baptism, and I tell you, this is special. This means all three of our children have been saved, and we have been praying for that. I tell you, God is so, so good. So we are excited. We're going to have baptism uh, next week, I think. Got Kate going to be baptized, and maybe Kaysen too, so it's going to be a great, great day. You don't want to miss it next week. All right, let's uh, pray together, and then Case will be up here at the front, ready to say hi to some folks, and uh, we will see you this evening, okay? All right, Brother Ronnie Jones, you still in here, Brother Ronnie? Would you pray for us, please?